welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Now let's begin today's program reading Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. We read the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Now, how many of you watching can remember that classic episode of I Love Lucy, where Lucy gets the job down at the candy factory? Right, Lucy had taken a job at a candy factory, and she's being trained on the first day of her new job. It was Lucy's duty to stand at a conveyor belt with pizza, pieces of candy continuously passing in front of her. And she's to add the finishing touches to the process. Her boss has walked out of the room, but not before she's emphasized strongly that her job was vital. She would lose her job if she let even a single piece of candy slip by her station untouched. Well, at first, Lucy was doing fine but the conveyor belt gradually picked up speed, and before long, she was frantic, grabbing candy and stuffing it everywhere she could, her mouth, her coat, her pockets, her dress, so that no unfinished piece would make it through her station. It was a classic. Well, apparently, this is a real job. Life magazine, many years ago, ran the story of a man named Steve Bailey. The magazine dubbed him the Candyman from Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Steve doesn't put the touches on all of the 33 million Hershey Kisses that are manufactured in a single day. No. He only has about 20,000 Hershey Kisses past his inspection station. 20,000 every 60 seconds. A picture of that appeared in the article. It shows Steve's watchful eye, you know, squinting over a virtual sea of unwrapped Hershey's Kisses. Steve's job was to search for anything less than sheer perfection. His job is not as difficult as the numbers suggest. He admits that the large majority of the 1.2 million kisses that pass him every hour are already perfect by the time they reach him. But he admits some pieces don't quite pass the perfect specifications that are required. The public's expectations of what a Hershey's kiss is supposed to look like when it is unwrapped are so high that only perfection will do. Steve would not allow a defective piece of chocolate to pass his station only to disappoint whoever opens it at home. Now, when we indulge in a Hershey's kiss, Steve sees to it that it is exactly 15 sixteenths of an inch in diameter at the base. It has the proper smooth appearance 
that it is not leaning to one side or the other. And above all, the imperfections, his trained and steady eye checks the curl at the top. It can't either be standing up too straight or drooping too low. It must be perfect. Well, now here's the question. What happens to the kisses that fall short of these lofty, lofty chocolate requirements? Well, the article goes on to say that Steve picks out the imperfect specimens of chocolate, brushes them aside to a catch-off pan, where they go into a process that is called the rework. Here, the defective pieces are melted down, the chocolate is mixed with the rest of the pre-hardened candy, and the process starts all over again, continuing until chocolate perfection is reached. Now, when the article mentioned that the defective kisses end up in rework, it immediately brought to my mind this parable we read here in Jeremiah 18, particularly verse 4, where it says, But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter, so he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Now, in Jeremiah's time, some 700 years before Jesus was born, there were no chocolate factories. For him, the potter at the wheel was the most up-to-date visual object lesson he could use to illustrate how carefully God plans and, and works with his people. The potter's workshop, that was a very familiar place, an everyday sight of the people of Jeremiah's time. Most of us have seen a potter making a vessel out of clay, you know, as the wheel spins and the clay is on it. But this is something we witness today at places like, you know, craft booths and museums and amusement parks. But for the people of Jeremiah's day, pottery was in everyday use, not just for decoration or a piece of history in a museum, but pottery was necessary every day. The skills of a potter were in high demand. The Hebrew word here for wheel could literally be translated two stones. So two stones connected by a vertical axle. The potter rotated the larger lower stone with foot power while he shaped the clay on the upper wheel with his skilled and delicate touch. Now modern commercial wheels use electrical power to turn the lower wheel, but many ceramic artists still prefer the foot-powered apparatus that so fascinated Jeremiah and inspired this analogy. You see, for the people of Jeremiah's day, the potter was as much an illustration out of everyday life as the making of Hershey Kisses would be for us today, nearly 3,000 years later. Now, here are some of the basic lessons taught by the parable. First, a product is expected to attain a certain very high standard of perfection. Both the potter and the candy maker take enormous pride in the finished product and will accept nothing short of perfection. Second, Sometimes the product fails to measure up. 
So for Steve Bailey, the top, you know, it may be a little bit too curled or outside might be a little bit too rough. For Jeremiah's potter, the work is said to be spoiled, probably for some some of the very same reasons. The shape may be poor, the texture not right, or the color not right. Third, the defective piece is selected for rework. In the case of the chocolate, it is melted down and remixed with the unhardened chocolate. In the case of the potter, the clay is remixed with the rest of the clay. The whole process then just starts all over again. Fourth, and perhaps the most important thing in gaining a proper understanding of God's message to us is that the process of being picked for rework is entirely at the discretion of the potter. Jeremiah says that the pieces that were selected for rework, he, he wrote it, as it pleased the potter. Now Paul adopted Jeremiah's parable in this way in Romans chapter 9 beginning at verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use. There is also that famous hymn written by Adelaide Pollard that goes like this, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting yielded and still. It sounds like a nice prayer. It's a wonderful song. But let me ask you, how many of us are truly waiting and yielded and still? I mean, that may be so for, you know, Steve's little candy pieces, motionless as they're carried along a conveyor belt. That may be also the, the case of an inanimate piece of clay that awaits the soft and skilled touch of the potter's fingers. But that is most certainly not true of us. Our troublesome free will adds a complicating factor to this parable. I mean, doesn't it? The fact that we exercise free will adds something to the parables that images of an inanimate clay and smooth chocolate simply cannot address. I mean, it may seem to the potter that the clay has a mind of its own, but it doesn't. We, however, do have minds and hearts of our own. We are free moral creatures. We don't have to wait on a mistake by the potter to ruin us. No, we do a very good job of that on our own. We are free moral creatures, but the sad fact is that we are spoiled by sin. Since the fall, our freedom is exercised unilaterally, always in the same direction, away from God. And that's the parable. God, the divine potter, 
sends us off into the catch pan of fallen humanity. And there we are melted down. That's precisely what happens to us when we come to acknowledge and profess Christ. We are melted down. Let me try to explain it. We may go through our lives thinking we are pretty impressive. You know, at least as far as clay pots go. You know, we observe the other clay jars around us, and we're certainly no worse than any of them. I mean, we're not so bad. And so we come to regard ourselves as very attractive human specimens. However, in God's eyes, we're spoiled. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We are unfit to worship you. Each of our good deeds is merely a filthy rag. We dry up like leaves. Our sins are storm, winds sweeping us away. See, what happens in reality is this. One hears the word of God that declares he is a sinner. As that word becomes more and more real, the person whose religious shape he once was fairly proud of begins to lose shape. The melting flames of the word become hotter as they declare the words found in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. The scripture tell us no one is acceptable to God. Not one of them understands or even searches for God. They have all turned away and are worthless. There isn't one person who does right. This one who thought at one time that he was a pretty outstanding piece of work now feels that he is only a small part of the universal mix of others just like him that are lost and formless. The form of religion that once was his has been melted away by the word of God. Thus, the divine potter removes him from the wheel and sends him to the rework mixed with the other clay. And no longer does he feel individual and proud of his shape. Instead, he feels himself to be part of a messy mass of lost humanity. Now here comes the good news. The very fact that we experience this process of the rework is evidence that God is still working with us, that God is not finished. We were sent to the rework and his sovereign and merciful hands scooped us up and placed us back on the upper wheel to make us his own workmanship. He wanted us perfect, and he would settle for nothing less. He wanted to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And since we could not attain that standard on our own, he will start all over and do it in us. When Paul borrowed Jeremiah's image, he anticipated that some would blame God. Look at Romans chapter 9 
beginning at verse 19, someone may ask, how can God blame us if he makes us behave in the way he wants us to? But my friend, I ask, who do you think you are to question God? Does the clay have the right to ask the potter why he shaped it the way he did? Doesn't a potter have the right to make a fancy bowl and a plain bowl out of the same lump of clay? God wanted to show his anger and reveal his power against everyone who deserves to be destroyed. But instead, he patiently put up with them. He did this by showing how glorious he is when he has pity on the people he has chosen to share in his glory. Well, Brother Paul, if God is the potter and I am the mindless, motionless chunk of clay, then let's reason this out. If I am marred, it's not my fault, it's God's. It's his negligence, not mine. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you're shopping and you see a piece of pottery on the shelf and the pottery looks bad, do you blame the clay or do you blame the potter? Well, the potter, of course. The potter was so unskilled. So they object to Paul's use of the parable saying, using your analogy, if I turn out bad, it's God's fault here, not me. Now, I can understand their argument, can't you? But Paul is not reluctant to face their objection. Who do you think you are to question God? Does the clay have the right to ask the potter why he shaped him the way he did? Doesn't a potter have the right to make a fancy bowl or a plain bowl out of the same lump of clay? And, so, and Paul then uses, he uses Pharaoh in essence to illustrate God's actions. Romans 9 beginning at verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on the God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. In other words, Paul is saying that God allowed a flawed specimen to pass by undetected, hardened into a flawed state. Pharaoh, should we put it this way, Pharaoh was not sent to melt down and to rework. You see, we may think it is a blessing to avoid the rework, but it is not. To be allowed by God to remain unchallenged by his spirit, uncorrected by his word, unchanged by the wonderful fires of his purifying grace. It's not a blessing. It's a curse. Can we be like Pharaoh? Surely. Pharaoh heard the words of God and he hardened his heart. 
we can also hear God's word and allow it to bounce off of us, leaving us unchanged, unmoved, untouched, proud of our shape. As the word of God is preached, it will always send us into the rework, creating change, making of us a new creature. His word should be a change, a seed of change in us. A London businessman told the story of a warehouse property he was selling. The building had been empty for months. It was in dire need of repair. Vandals had done severe damage. The windows were smashed. The doors were in bad repair. and Trash was thrown all over the place. As he shows a prospective buyer the property, he emphasized that, listen, I will replace the broken windows. I'll have a crew come repair the structural damage and clean up the place. The buyer laughs and replies, forget the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to start all over and build something different. I don't want the building. I just want the site. You see, that's God's message to us. We might try to gloss over the flaws in our life with a little structural work here and there, but our efforts at reform are as trivial as sweeping out a warehouse that is slated for the wrecking ball. When God acts, we are sent to the rework. He makes all things new. And all he wants is the sight. And you and I, we're the sight. Let us pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, thank you for all the blessings you give us, your mercy, your kindness, your compassion, your forgiveness. Father, I pray that you send us into rework and just make us into new creatures that will acknowledge who we are and glorify you. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. Each and every week, we have a, a book, a magazine, a booklet, something to help you in your spiritual journey to better understand God's will and his will for your life. And so, and today we have this special edition of Signs of the Times magazine entitled, Our Amazing Universe Beyond Imagination. We'd love to send you this copy of Signs of the Times free of charge. There's no obligation whatsoever on your part. We just want you to have it because we believe that there's important resources in here to help you. Won't you accept our gift? If you'd like to receive your copy of the Signs of the Times magazine, this one edition, pay close attention to the information we're about to provide. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, 
L1G0A3, and we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate so many of you that tune in faithfully every week. Would you help us get the word out so more people will also tune in? To help you in that endeavor, you can always refer them to our website, l4ltv.com. You can visit the website. There's some interesting things on there. We have all of our previous programs are there. You can request the offer online. You can think about joining a Bible study group. You know, you can tell us where you live and we'll cook you up with a Bible study group in, in your community. We have an archive sermons tab, different presentations I've done in different parts of the country where we look at biblical answers to some really important questions like what happens to us when we die? Why do bad things happen to good people? When will the world end? How will it end? All of those questions answered from a biblical perspective. Uh, you can also find out where I'll be appearing live. Uh, you can also send a donation. There's a Donate Today tab. You can send a donation in. We are a charitable organization. Uh, every dollar that is committed to the ministry goes to the ministry. Paying for airtime, the time in the studio, the gifts we send out, the postage. Uh, none of that comes in terms of any salary or benefit to me or my family. It all goes back into the ministry. This is a labor of love, and it can be a challenge sometimes to keep the program on the air, but God has gotten us this far. We pretend and we plan on continuing by God's grace as long as he and you will help us. Our social media, Instagram, follow me on Instagram, Santos underscore Bill. Every, every single morning, I put out a one-minute devotional video. Many folks say, like this, Bill, that's how we start our day. Get our cup of coffee. We watch your one-minute devotional video. We start the day focused on things of heaven. It's a great way to do it, Santos underscore Bill. You can follow me on Twitter, at Santos underscore Bill. You can like our Facebook page. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can download an audio of this program on SoundCloud and carry it with you wherever you go. Very quickly before we leave, missionnowcanada.com. That's another website that shows you the international humanitarian component of our ministry. We are doing some incredible work in the Philippines and Paraguay and Nicaragua. And we'd love you to be a part of that, either through your donations or joining us on an overseas humanitarian trip. Check out missionnowcanada.com. Well, we are rapidly running out of time. Let me thank you again for joining us. 
we plan on being back next week, be the good Lord willing, we hope you will be here with us also. Till then, God bless you. We'll see you back here again next time. Thank you.